service to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, the Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. We're here. We're podcasting. (laughs) Get used to it. (laughs) I don't know if we can appropriate that safely. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I, I think people people will tell us if we can't. Yeah. <laughs> Whether or not it's actually true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Ben. Wow. Adam, we have hit some pretty impressive download numbers lately. Consistently higher numbers than we have than we ever have before. I don't know if I want to be too specific about it, but uh where but it's bonkers. Are you, where are you beginning the measurement? <laughs> From the center of the anus. Right. Uh, All the way up to the very last download, huh? Yeah, but it's uh, it's really nice that uh, I'm. I don't know. Like, it seems like we got some new people coming on board to the show, and that's really cool. You want to feel like you're growing. Yeah, it doesn't feel good to look at stat at uh, at stagnant or falling download numbers. I've always thought we wanted the show's success to resemble the. The hockey stick graph of global warming. <laughs> As the Earth's surface increases in temperature, so do our download numbers. Yeah, it gives me great comfort. It does. It's nice. It's it's nice that uh, that something so cataclysmic can be linked inextricably <laughs> to our our success. Oh no! Are you? Are you saying that there's a causal yes. relationship there? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I don't we know. We need to ask people to stop downloading the show immediately. I don't know if people realize this, but to power our laptops uh, that we use to record the show on, we each go outside and light a barrel of fuel oil on fire. Yeah. And uh, and the warmth of that is uh, is where we derive our energy from. Very few Star Trek podcasts are fueled by bunker oil. <laughs> and yet ours are. Mm-hmm. We're like a container ship show. Yeah. We're trying to maximize both carbon emissions and particulate emissions. Mm. Getting a bunch of those in in my basement studio. (laughs) Lots of emissions these days. Yeah? Yeah. Is that because your diet has changed to accommodate dairy? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm eating it all now, Ben. Are you ripping a lot more ass? Yeah, things are really moving. Mm Mm-hmm. Gases, solids, liquids. Fun. Fire. So you've just, I mean, I think that that's, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I wonder, uh, like our buddy Jesse Thorne, the uh, the boss of MaximumFun.org, he suffers from migraines, and there's a whole list of foods that he can't eat, like chocolate and raw onions, because they're migraine triggers. But uh, I, but also, I love Jesse chocolate gets, and raw onions. But yeah, and, and and even better when they're together. But but Jesse gets migraines all the time. I'm I'm yeah, wondering it seem if to help, huh? I'm wondering if he could just enjoy his. You know, what if he pivoted into a more chocolate and raw onion based lifestyle? Oh yeah, like I don't know. Lean into it. I maybe he sometimes. should make his body an ecosystem where a a headache would not want to take form. <laughs> <laughs> Go live somewhere else, migraine. Yeah, this body's not for you. <laughs> Poisoned yeah. by onions and Hershey kisses. But both of you have fairly debilitating deals and uh I don't and you, feel you debilitated. Seem to have, well, you seem to have just kind of resigned yourself to it recently, I would say. I mean, one one thing that happened to us recently is that uh we uh we're doing a more Airbnb VRBO type of touring. Yes. Uh, and this often asks us to share a bathroom situation. Yes. Uh, it's. Uh, it seems to me like a fair amount of confidence by you <laughs> <laughs> that we'll be able to hold this thing together uh, as we continue touring. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that I, I think that the Uxbridge Shimoda policy that 
Rob is not allowed to poop while on tour is mm. going to be one of the main things that uh, holds the center. <laughs> yeah. I think one thing I learned from uh, the great John Gabrus, also a, a, a famous poopman from, <laughs> from back in the day, is that uh, even if you're not staying in a hotel, oftentimes you may poop in one. Uh, yes, that's true. Ho- hotels, the safe harbor of poopers the world over. Yeah, and so even if we're not staying in a hotel uh, throughout much of our touring, I find that uh, if I need to, I'll make them available yeah. for that kind of thing. Yeah, I'll be fine. Don't worry. Don't worry at all. <laughs> I'm not worried. People are very scandalized by bathrooms, and I say just get over it. You know, go in there, do your thing, get out. Look at me, I've, I've made it a major part of my identity that even strangers <laughs> ask me about after shows, so maybe well, my life can be an example to others. They're strangers to you, but you're not a stranger to them, Adam. That's it. We are not on equal footing. No, it's an asymmetric parasocial relationship. That's what that's called. People would do right to remember that. Yeah, hard to remember, but worth it. Yeah, well... It is. Uh, it has been easy to forget about one major character on Deep Space Nine, Ben, who mm. comes back in a big-time way yeah. on this episode. Lieutenant Toast. I'm Lieutenant Commander Michael Eddington, Starfleet Security. Yeah. <laughs> second ex- lieutenant. He's really, he's really second Lieutenant Toast. Yeah, he's private toast. And he's great. Let's get into it, Ben. I wanna yeah. talk about I wanna talk about Eddington as we discuss Deep Space Nine season five episode thirteen for the uniform. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. This is a fun uh it's not quite in media race, I guess I Though I suppose it is like it we're, is. we're we're dropped into a mission that Cisco is on. He's undercover. Yeah, undercover in the Star Trek caves. There are Fujis sleeping in sleeping bags on the floors. A lot of welding and and uh, you know oil cans with fires in them that kind of look like the oil drums that we use to power this program. It's clear that the Maquis Maquis Raiders are constructed using angle grinders. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. Cisco is here uh, looking for Singta, uh, an informant who's going to tell him about where to find Eddington. And uh, he asks an old man who is doing something sparky. Looking for a friend of mine. Uh, where you can find Singta. And uh, the guy indicates at a uh, very theatrical looking set of curtains that Cisco walks through, only to have... A Klingon disruptor stuck in the back of his head. Throw it on the ground. Talk about a big surprise. I think he was expecting a Japanese restaurant behind those curtains. <laughs> this is not the case. No. He was not handed a warm washcloth to wipe his hands with. He was handed a phaser to the dome. Which is a bit, you know, like, I understand that it's a little bit hard to keep uh, cultural differences distinct when you're when you grow up in in New Orleans and you're not necessarily super familiar with uh, with all the different cultures of uh, of Asia, but uh, a Singha is a Thai beer and uh, right. unlikely to be in a Japanese restaurant. It's true, but in the 24th century, I mean, there's probably been <laughs> God. That was just the longest fucking walk of all time for the most mediocre punchline. <laughs> I had it in the back of my head, too. I just didn't go back for it. I'm glad you did. <laughs> we pulled over the pod car. You got out. Listen, there are not that many jokes on this show, but we we categorized it as comedy. We got to go get it. We got to. The podcast did not strap down what was in the bed of the truck. <laughs> yeah, it's like when you see a couch cushion. On yeah. the side of the highway. The, the you know that whoever's losing a couch cushion on the side of the highway cannot exactly afford to replace their couch. Yeah. You had to go back for that joke. You had to wait for the traffic to pass, yeah. run out into the road and go get it. That's what you did. <laughs> the best part about that joke is going back and discussing the joke in a little segment we like to call Behind the Joke. <laughs> 
Oh, Cisco is there to dispense Starfleet justice, but Ben, the tables have been turned. Yeah. You know Eddington, he's always a couple of chess moves ahead, and uh, Sing Ta uh, did not make it to the Star Trek caves. He had a bit of a shuttle accident, you know, shuttle on the way to the conference, most dangerous place that you can be. Yeah, should know better. And apparently he's been marooned on some horrible SETI Alpha 5 type planet and uh, is has been doomed to a slow death that nobody seems to ever think to go try and rescue him from. Ooh, that is dark. Yeah, I mean, Cisco, Cisco, like the thing about Cisco in this episode is how single-minded he is, uh-huh. to the exclusion of this poor guy marooned <laughs> on this planet, who was uh, an agent for them, an agent for Cisco. Like, yeah. he's being he's being punished. Right. Yeah. It's not right. You can't leave a man in the field like that, Cisco. No. No. Uh, Eddington makes the case like the Maquis are not killers. We didn't we didn't murder Singta, we just marooned him. They're slow killers. Right. And uh that's a, a bit when- rich given the <laughs> the strategy that Eddington pursues later in the episode. But perhaps I'm getting ahead of myself. When the Maquis punish someone, they go low and slow. As in low gravity <laughs> yeah. and slow death. They're the Franklin barbecue of killers. Cisco and Eddington do that verbal joust where they argue about whose fault it is that all these refugees are there. And yeah. Cisco's position is that to promise these refugees that they're getting their homes back is deceptive. And Eddington's position is that the reason they don't have homes at all is it's Starfleet's fault. Here's my question, Adam. Do either of these men think they are going to convince the other? No. They No, this is a pillow fight of arguments. It really is. It is so pointless. Like, I could see doing this, like, televised, you know, so that the at-home audience can form their decision. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh, having a private conversation like this just seems, like, pretty worthless. Eddington is not going to convince Cisco and, and vice versa. So that's, I don't know. It just seemed like it was like there to kill time, you know. Or to remind us about who Eddington is for the new viewer or casual viewer. Right. And basically he is fishy French guy. He is, uh, this is not a treaty. This is a war crime. You took these people home away from them and you never give it back. Yeah, it's just not getting through to Cisco. And it's not getting through to Eddington. No. They're at, uh, they're at logger jams. Yeah. That's what that word is, right? Yeah, let's go fix the cable, Adam. <laughs> the scene ends with Eddington beaming away and then Cisco speed beaming after him up to the little D, where it appears that Kira does not get any maternity leave, which is very unfair, I think. Well, she's not raising, she's not suckling the child. I think there are physical things that happen to a new mother that require a little bit of R&R after. Wouldn't you agree? We do not know how long after the last episode this takes place. And I would argue it might be months after because... Hey, man. (laughs) Kira might have had to get that big snip. You need... You need some time to recuperate after that one. No, she was super chilled out when she had the baby. She did not get the big snip. All right. But I'm... uh, You say so. I'm just saying, like, like the other evidence that I will cite is that Odo appears a few times in this episode and is not like, hey, isn't it fucking amazing that I'm a changeling again? Like, (laughs) like, it goes uncommented on it is like it never happened and that it feels oddly bodily besides the inclusion of eddington yeah this is a very self-contained story here yeah so i i kind of think that Ed odo has like had a lot of time to get used to the fact that he's back to normal <laughs> for a while i was just stuck as that eagle <laughs> for weeks <laughs> you know it doesn't come back all at once <laughs> it takes time and an effort. I was at, I was in physical therapy, and let me tell you, it's not an instantaneous process. The one thing you don't want in your quarters when you're an eagle is a leather couch. <laughs> Believe me, 
I ruined a lot of good furniture that week. My talons and my cloaca really made short work of that thing. (laughs) I won't cast any more extras on that couch ever again. Put it that way. We get some brand new tech here in this scene, Ben. On the bridge of the Little D, uh, they have unveiled the hollow emitter as a way to talk to Captain 90's dad of the USS Malinche. <laughs> this captain does not seem thrilled to be involved in this chase for Eddington. What, what happened is Eddington got the jump. He beamed away so fast that the little D can't close the distance. So they're having to call on, on whatever other ship is in the sector to cut him off. Right. And the Malinche is, is controlling the demilitarized zone. And so they're going to be able to get there ahead of the little D. But yeah, they're they're rolling out this new technology that uh, is super new to all of these people who I guess wouldn't know that it used to be standard install on every starship before Captain Pike ordered it ripped out of the Enterprise. Yeah, it's true. Doesn't anyone read their history books? Yeah. You know, those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. Are you predicting a moment in time where they rip out the hollow emitters <laughs> from the little D? Oh, maybe, yeah. From now on, we'll communicate using good old-fashioned view screens. It seems like the most solid technology on the little D at this point, though. What you need is a, a moil. Get someone there there to bite the hollow emitters <laughs> off of the little D. Oh, that's the moil. Oh, yeah, but then sometimes you can transmit diseases to the ship, and that's yeah. not good. Yeah, it's it's what we're trying to troubling. do in this episode is get the virus out of the ship, Adam. That's right, because uh, once they close the distance, there's the the Malinche sort of cuts off Eddington, and then the little D cuts him off from the other side. Yeah, and it's as a soon pincer as they, action yeah. that they perform. As soon as they pull up short, uh, it's virus time on the little D. Yeah, this fucking ship computer is full of sabo. Hence the word. Sabotage. The Sabo have been uh, repopulating. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that Cisco's soup thermos is a little bit different in this episode? Yeah, it's like What's a it's about? like a black thermos instead of a instead of a silver thermos now. Eddington licks some real shots on Little D. And yeah, because he also has hollow <laughs> hollow technology. He's like, yeah. hey, I'm in a guerrilla war, but I want all the nicest gadgets on my ship. <laughs> I've always wanted to know what it would be like to shoot myself. <laughs> and so he's, and so it's a weird scene, right? He's on the ship that he's shooting and he's talking shit to Cisco. Yeah. And he is really riling up Ben Cisco. Yeah. Cisco's pissed. It's not over between us. He is about to be very pissed because the little D is so crippled in this interaction that it must be towed home. Yeah. Which is like the greatest insult for a Starfleet captain. Yeah, you don't want the tow job, especially Cisco, who had a, a hand in constructing this ship. You know, like yeah. that's very personal. It is, isn't it? Like it, it kind of like I. It didn't really seem to be commented on by any of the characters, but I kind of feel like that is intentional. Like that's part of, like they wrote it so that it would make him, like like what would make him the maddest. That's short a great of like point. kidnapping Jake or whatever. Yeah, great point. Back on DS9, uh, we're given the realization that the little D has been so damaged that it'll take two weeks of work to get it functional again. They got the boys down at the crime lab working in shifts. <laughs> yeah, th- this is a extremely long refractory period for the little D. Right. And the other bad news is that uh, is the captain of the Malenke... Uh, delivers to Cisco is that uh, he's been taken off Eddington duty by Starfleet Command. I get it. Yeah, it makes total sense. This is what makes the scene great: is that Cisco gets it too. It's the classic uh, cop movie trope of like you're taking this too personally. We're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna put you on the case. And like like what always happens in those movies, Adam? The cop uh, the finds guy- a way to get back on the case. Yeah, the cop, like, gives his gun and his badge to the captain and goes rogue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that, is, uh, that is where Cisco is headed, but not before uh, he goes and has a 
super outrageous boxing scene where Dax is holding the heavy bag while Cisco enumerates all of his many failures, W slash R slash T Eddington. He's just a man like me. And he beat me. This is such a generous scene for an actor. I went to look to make sure that Avery Brooks didn't direct it. Like, <laughs> this seems like out of nowhere. This is, but this is what Avery Brooks is best at, right? Like going to 11, like, ch- like grabbing the scenery. Dude, he goes and to just, 12 and a half in this scene. And just tearing it down around him. Oh my God. He's terrifying. Yeah. And just like he's dripping with sweat. Like I was like like sincerely worried for Terry Farrell <laughs> that he was going to like punch through the bag and hurt her. The intensity of this scene can't be overstated. It is it he is really hitting a heavy bag. Terry Farrell is really holding it and that is real sweat. I think she does a great job of matching him too. Yeah. Like yeah. like he's going fucking crazy and she is she is flipping shit right back at him in a way that I thought was great. Yeah. It's good you're working it out in the bag, Benjamin. Who? He's never been taken off of an assignment. Like, that's that's part of it. There's a lot of things going on in his head. It's the failure of having not been able to apprehend Eddington. It's the being rotated out of yeah. a mission that he felt was his responsibility. It's a failure on a number of levels. You know and what really- it kind of reminds me of is Picard's freak out in First Contact. Yeah, like, uh, like, the heavy bag is Cisco's little ships. Like Eddington's having pulled his pants down so spectacularly is the signature failure of his career yeah. in the way that being Locutus is for Picard. No! Cisco knows that he fucked up, but he's not wrong, right? He says he got played. He said he made a... He made some mistakes, like he didn't see what was right in front of him. These yeah. are things that you and I have said are foundational traits for Captain Sisko up until now. He is too trusting. Right. He is too blinded by the uniform. Like, it's the Cal Hudson problem all over again. Right. <laughs> I think it was. I think on last episode, you, you made the crack that this was going to be about Cal Hudson, and I think that this would have been... Maybe an even more interesting episode if it if if they had taken it in that direction. Yeah, it would have been cool. Because the betrayal that Eddington did was professional. Yeah. But Cal Hudson's betrayal was professional and personal because they were right. friends. Yeah. Yeah, and Cisco's reaction to that kind of to that kind of betrayal feels like what he's doing here, like. If this is how he's responding to an Eddington double cross, I honestly can't imagine what he yeah. would do if yeah. this were Cal Hudson on the other side. Un- in- impossible to imagine him yeah. going crazier than this. Yeah. And it is just like a relentless series of ball kicks because they come out of this and Cisco is still drenched in sweat when he finds out that Eddington has genocided a Cardassian colony. <laughs> I was very distracted by the sweat, I'll tell you. Like I was I was like at what point is he going to change his uniform and shower? And it is several scenes later that that happens. <laughs> I ain't even wiping my sweat. It's keeping me cool. This is a interesting piece of tech that we are given knowledge of here. Eddington has used a bioweapon on a planet full of Cardassians and he has created this weapon out of ingredients that he's stolen from transport ships. Right. It's the uh, neutron bomb of clearing out the Cardassians in a way that will not affect humans that want to go take over the planet yeah. in question. Uh, these Bolian freighters that he raided for this stuff contain selenium, which everyone knows is the active ingredient of head and shoulder shampoo. That's how you beat the aliens in Evolution, the classic David Duchovny film. Haven't you noticed how shiny and flake-free our hair is? I love that movie. I only (laughs) brought it up because I want to use the drops. (laughs) (laughs) Fun. Yeah. So the the Malenke is the only, uh, like a classic Star Trek thing is like, how many ships are in the fleet? Well, basically none. <laughs> so, Wolf three five nine really wiped him out, Ben. Come on. So the the Malinche has uh, 
uh, is not going to be able to to do this patrol. And the little D is shredded, but they're going to take her out in a deeply compromised way and uh, and, and see if they can catch Eddington. They and, do the uh, laundry list of things that are fucked up on the little D. And I love that it's O'Brien that's like, yeah, so every single system is ruined and non-functional, including the inertial dampening system. You remember <laughs> what happened on the USS patio? There's like a 50-50 chance that that happens to us if we, if we go out. Yeah. This is a terrible idea. Why are they doing this? Boy, I don't know. It is rough. The only thing that is working is the hollow, uh, hollow communicator or whatever. I, f- I feel like there's a scene missing, Ben, and that scene is, I can't ask any of you to follow me into this. Right. But, uh, but like, if you, if you turn around now, no one will think differently of you. Like, we needed that scene because there is so much danger here yeah. for a captain that's basically gone rogue that... You really need that moment. Right. He's basically been ordered not to mess with Eddington. Yeah. It feels like it could have been a two-parter, honestly. Like, the, yeah. this is a shit ton of episode. It's a lot. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. I'm fucking a pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. Oh, I don't use the bucket anymore. Even internal communications are messed up on the little D. So what they're going to have to do is have Cadet Nog be the person that is transmitting orders down to the engine room and back to the bridge. And so Ensign Nog comes in, and I didn't really understand like why he had a communicator that worked and other people didn't, but he has a little gadget that he holds up by his ear. And it is there are very fun like World War II submarine film vibes once yeah, this go- so. gets going, which is like every order is like repeated in kind of a bucket brigade style. And... Every time the ship turns or uh, switches something on or or whatever, like three different people have to do something to make it happen. Yeah. I dug it. I liked the patter of it. It felt very military in a way that this story is very military. Yeah. It was really good. It's very run silent, run nug. <laughs> All right. You got the title again. Great. <laughs> At this point, Cisco's taking a shower, right? I don't know. I just don't even... When am I going to get a title? When you come Someone, up with a good title. Th- there were people on Reddit saying that it might be like 147U, 133Me on titles. There's no fucking way. You have you have easily three quarters of all titles. I don't think so. It's the only thing I'm good at on this show. Just give <laughs> me this, Ben. That's not true. That's like saying, hey, listen, I'm just going to be the funny one. You be the regular one. That's not how it is. That's not how it is. We're both the regular one. <laughs> we get a scene here at the... There's sort of a an interstitial scene between Dax and Cisco that serves to diminish the tension of what's happening. Cisco is paranoid that Dax thinks he's crazy for going out on this mission, which he is, by the way. And instead of holding him to account, Dax uses the moment to bank a favor for later. Yeah. She's like, hey, next time uh, Koloth shows up and I want to go murder someone in cold blood on some Klingon set trip and shit, uh, I'm just going to remind you of this little conversation. Yeah. Like, Dax, you can't can't call in a favor if you're dead. (laughs) (laughs) And those are the stakes, and yet they're not stated at whatsoever i think death is on the table here and no one's acting like it well you never go up against a sicilian when death is on the line adam there's a fun version of like like one of my favorite parts of any star trek film is like the ship leaving dock you know the lights turn on the ship flips around the Mm -hmm. music swells it's great it's one of the best parts of a star trek movie but there's a fun circus mirror version of that where the ship the little D here is super fucked up. They're being very careful to turn it around. It's kind of frisbeeing outside of Deep Space Nine. Yeah. It almost hits one of the one of the arms of it. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. What is Denise Richards the pilot of this ship? <laughs> that could be a title. No. That's not structured like a title. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's forced too. We just can't force it. 
It's not forced. <laughs> that was just a joke. It's just not. It's not. It's not the kind of joke that makes its way into the title of the show. I thought the little D should have continued frisbeeing all the way to the Badlands. Oh, there's another title. That would have been fun. Congratulations, you've had three titles so far this show. Your jet lag is still very thick, Ben. <laughs> I'm excited for you to get more sleep. After which, you're going to be a little bit nicer to me. What's the episode of Friendly Fire that we recorded when I was, like, extraordinarily punchy from it? Oof. Uh, yeah. You was really that Alexander? Were. Yeah. You really took it out on us. Man, I could not see straight that episode. <laughs> After we had finished recording, John was like, wow, that was something. <laughs> he is very upsettable. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I owe that guy an apology. No, you don't. No, because you were taking it out on me. You weren't taking it out on John. Was I? Yes. I don't even remember the show. I'm Very sorry. Very much so. It's fine. It's fine. Adam, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that. So the little D makes it out to the Badlands. Yeah. And one thing, one detail I didn't notice about Eddington when he appears on the hollow emitter this time is how giant his leather lapels are. Yeah. He looks like he's emerging from a labia. <laughs> Yeah. Like because he's wearing, you know what this kind of leather is in a way that I don't. Like it's it's super uh, wrinkly, soft leather, so yeah. it looks very fleshy. Well, he he, uh, he gets all his clothes at the same uh, store as Admiral Satie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love this jacket though. It looks very space piratey. Yeah, he's got kind of a a roguish cut to his jib and uh this turns out to be a total jam up like he was uh he was just kind of buying time so that he could fuck up the malinche and uh and uh when they when the little d comes upon the malinche which is a the hood class starship uh it is it is in a really bad way and so now now uh they're sort of returning the favor helping captain 90s dad <laughs> Captain 90's dad reports that their tennis courts are in ruins, <laughs> a foosball table was knocked over, and the frozen beverage machines are inoperative. In a word, Ben, they are buzz-killed. <laughs> really harshed, harshed their mellow. Yeah. Uh, 90's dad has now turned into Captain Disappointed 90's dad. Yeah. So Eddington is, uh, is continuing his rampage. He's going to go threaten another Cardassian population with genocide. Selenium. How much do we need? And they have to kind of like do the math on which population that's going to be. 500 gallons could do it, should do it. There are four candidate planets. Two of them have upgraded security measures so they uh, can reject those out of hand. And then the other two are kind of like one is like got like like great mining operation and like semi upgraded security. And the other one is like basically an easy target. Yeah, and, it's like uh, if you're playing Civ and you're trying to decide if you're going to attack a civilization from like the classical period uh -huh. or from the Renaissance or something, you're going to choose the weaker of the two. Right. That's what they're thinking. Right. You don't want to. You don't want to attack a city that's got cannons or <laughs> or or like firearms. You want to attack the one that still has arrows. Right. You want to send your musket men up against their horse archers. Exactly, but Cisco realizes that Eddington is a uh, is a zig when we think he's gonna zag type of guy, mm. and uh, you know, like they've made they made the case that like maybe Captain Ninety's dad is gonna be better at hunting Eddington because Eddington knows Cisco too well and uh, can predict his actions, uh, but uh, but you know that blade cuts both ways. Cisco kind of knows the psychology of Eddington and can and can predict that Eddington is going to go for the harder target. Right. Everything has been reduced to them. It yeah. is one on one at this point. Mano, ah, mano. Everyone else is just along for the ride. I wonder what Eddington's crew is thinking over there. Like that's a perspective you don't get. Yeah. Is Eddington the head of all Makewees? It kind of seems that way. I think that uh, this episode kind of makes the case that he is. I wish they didn't kill off Tom Riker. Like, yeah. to sprinkle Tom Riker around every once in a while, boy, oh boy. Boy, if if we had gotten an episode with Cal Hudson, Eddington, and Tom, 
<laughs> How fucking great would that have been? Tom Riker appears on the bridge of the little D, looks over at Kira, and she's like, you know, I got the big snip. <laughs> Riker, Riker's like, I'm up to that challenge. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Fuck. You know, everyone's doing six-month sentences for being in the Mayquees. Like, uh, he could have gotten out of prison by now, right? Yeah, I suppose so. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, Eddington's looking down the barrel of one of those if he gets caught. <laughs> Six months. Pretty tough. Wow. That that ruler on the knuckles is really going to smart. What are you doing now? They head to this planet that Cisco correctly predicts Eddington will be attacking, and there's some pretty fun space combat between the Mayquis Raiders and the Little D. They uh, they get the first one, and then the second one heads back to the planet, and they're like, "What the fuck is this is this thing doing?" And what it's doing is uh, is attacking one of the drain cleaner ships that the Cardassians are using to evacuate their despoiled planet. Mm. And so now they have a sort of Dark Knight Joker style dilemma where it's go after Eddington and kill him or save the Cardassian drain cleaners. Yeah. What's he going to do? He's going to save the Cardassians. Yeah, there was never any doubt, right? Right. You don't let the innocents go. But boy, Eddington really like rubs his face in it. Eddington knows his enemy also. Yeah. And this is good strategy by him. Yeah. I I think that they could have just not had the hollow emitter. Like I think that these scenes would have been as effective if they had just had everything be on FaceTime the way it always is in Star Trek. It feels like the only reason to do this if it is if it's going to be the thing that they do henceforth. Right. Like I if this is just a thing they do for the next few episodes and then stop I am on your side on that. It's unnecessary. Yeah, I don't. I, I can't really remember if this is a, a thing after this or not. It uh. seems like a budget thing. Like on the surface, you wouldn't think that an effect would cost less, but you're not building a bridge for Eddington to communicate out of on right. his side. So I think in the long run, you're saving money by, by continuing this effect. Yeah, but they, they've got to have a Mayquis Raider background, right? Yeah. Like, it, you don't have to do much. I mean, like, if TNG taught us anything, you can put a Ferengi in front of a white screen and say that that's the bridge of their ship. Yeah. Strange. Don't know what to make of it. Just like Cisco and Dax don't know what to make of this file that they were able to retrieve. Uh, there was some communication among the Maquis Raiders, and they were able to uh, to steal some of it and study it, and that's yeah. Odo's job. Yeah, and it is like a Breen nursery rhyme. Yeah, that's all it is, and that's what's frustrating Odo. He's like, I know you told me not to open the attachment, <laughs> <laughs> but I opened the attachment, and nothing was there. Far be it from me to ignore the admonishments of the IT department, <laughs> but curiosity got the best of me. And I really wanted to see what it was like to have pinball on my computer. The subject line was forward, 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 <laughs> forward, forward, Cisco's emails. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, are you familiar with um, with uh, Les Miserables? I'm not, but I know you are. I'm not. I've never seen it or yeah. read it. Well, I know your pronunciation is dead wrong, Ben. It's supposed to be called Le Miserable. Try it. Le Miserable. Le Miserable. Le, me Le Miserable. Feliz Navidad. <laughs> I hung a piñata from the ceiling of the play hall. This entire episode pivots into Les Mis. Yeah. And uh, the conversation between Dax and Cisco is about how Eddington sees that as a metaphor. And the way he sees it as a metaphor is that 
Eddington is the good guy and Cisco is the like corrupt cop that is busting his chops for stealing a loaf of bread bad guy. So Cisco decides that the heel turn is the way to win the day. And so he's going to lean into his role as a villain by basically doing the same thing to a Maquis planet that Eddington has done to a couple of Cardassian planets. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I thought for sure after this pivot, the Malinche would be back on the scene and like the little (laughs) D would be totally rogue, right? Like, can he get Eddington before the Malenche gets him? Because this is heel on top of heel, right? Like, they're they're doing a mission that is unsanctioned, and yeah. then they're about to raise the stakes of that mission by pivoting into bioweapon. Right. <laughs> Which a lot of... Uh... A lot of uh, text-based news websites tried to do in sort of the late 2000s, and uh, it, it wound up really fucking their budgets up. Cisco's like, Worf, attach bags of trilithium to some torpedoes. And Worf's like, yeah, that's an idiotic plan. Maquis raiders are too fast for that. And he's like, no, we're going to shoot at planets. Trilithium torpedoes are what they were using in uh, Star Trek Generations, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tri-lithium. Yeah. Time travel. This is an episode that really makes you think it is going to be about Cisco bluffing because so many times we've seen, just like across all television, we've seen a character like come up with the clincher that is going to defeat the bad guy. Yeah. And kind of not let anybody else in on it so that they can get all of the dramatic reveal at the end when they say, well... I was bluffing and I got him. Cisco is not bluffing. <laughs> he goes and fucking kills a planet. Kills a planet for humans. Yeah. And that's what's so interesting about these weapons, right? Like they are equal and opposite reactions. Eddington's shampoo bomb makes a planet uninhabitable for Cardassians. And Cisco's trilithium bomb makes it un- uninhabitable for humans. But if you shot a planet at the same time... Would the torpedoes cross in midair? <laughs> what do you got then? Shampoo Holocaust. There's your title, Ben. I got There's, it. There it is. You I did it. it. I got it. Late in the game. A buzzer beater. Nice work. I feel really good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like I earned it, but I'm happy that I got it. Eddington has this moment Does that make me Cisco. a bad person, Adam? <laughs> no. No, not at all. You're a lot like the Joker in the movie Joker. That I'm like a, a loser incel? <laughs> Thanks. I don't think you're like that. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, I don't think I'm going to see it. Seems bad, right? You kind of take Eddington's side here, right? You have to. Who is more sane at this exact moment? And hinged versus unhinged. (laughs) It's actually Eddington. Yeah. I mean, I don't agree with the direction Eddington took his life in. And I don't like the way he left Starfleet to go pursue that. But but what Cisco did here was a real crazy Hail Mary. And it's kind of, it's like one of those movies where the cop goes rogue and all of the crimes they committed along the way toward bagging the criminal are looked past because they won in the end. Ben, the two-part episode that this episode should be should have the courtroom, should have the court-martial in that second episode. Yeah. The deployment of biological weapons by Cisco is not legal in the Federation and, and he should be in, like, he should not have his command after this. It should start with the court-martial in the first episode and be like a like a Rashomon retelling of the yeah. of the events. Yeah. Because basically at the end of the episode what they're saying is we solved the Maquis by capturing Eddington? Yeah. I think I think the Maquis is like Hydra. I think you cut off Eddington's head and then two more heads pop up. Boy, I like 
they have their 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 showdown where Eddington is standing in in the uh, inside the hula hoop that describes where the hollow communicator can be. What are you really up to, Javert? They should have put a grid on the floor, right? And Eddington relents and says, like, okay, you can have me, just don't kill any more Maquis planets. All right, Javert. I'll give you what you want. <laughs> You're saying my sentence is only six months, right? <laughs> like you promise. Right. <laughs> That's what it's going to be. I got your word on that. And then when it's over, you'll have me back on the station. <laughs> yeah, I'll get right? to put put the gold uniform back on, and it'll be because that's one of those, that's what one you of those do. nice new ones, not the not the super dumpy old one. <laughs> this this series just pivots into a, a a series of of like Cisco just never learning his lesson. <laughs> but they there's the button which is. They're like they get Eddington off of the little D and the X and Cisco like walk down the thing and the case is made that like the the Maquis thing is over. The balance in the region will be restored, though the situation remains far from stable. Like there's still a little bit of like political unrest, but uh, essentially in one fell swoop the problem of the Maquis has been solved contextually that just doesn't make sense like i know they're telling us this but every time we've had an interaction with the maquis like they are they are a rogues gallery they have many heads and many captains and that's part of what makes fighting them so difficult yeah like this this doesn't make any logical sense based on what we've been told about the maquis and i hope it's not the truth for that reason yeah it just seems too easy if so. Well, and it's like, it's easy also because it's like, okay, like we, we poisoned one planet, so we'll move all the people from that planet to the other one that the, that got abandoned by the Cardassians and vice versa. Like, it is a very neat bow that uh, they tie a very messy situation with the Maquis up in. If ending the Maquis was about killing one person, they would deploy an ar- the Federation would deploy an armada to go and get Eddington and kill him or capture him. And the idea that that's not part of their strategy for defeating the Maquis is insane. I also thought it was a little crazy that like no Cardassians appear in the episode. No, right. like the only Cardassian ship we see is a drain cleaner that's like in big trouble. Yeah. Like Oof. wouldn't. It's like the Cardassians are like the same have the same problem as the Federation where somebody is going and and wiping out planets along their frontier and they're like shit we just don't have any ships to send. Whoops. What else is the Federation doing right now? <laughs> morn, morn. 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 A lot of questions, a lot of holes. Did you like the episode, Ben? Yes. Strong yes. It's an episode with a lot of questions and a lot of holes, but it's also just a lot of fun. Yeah, that's true. The Avery Books performance by itself is enough to make me like this episode. Um, but also, like, I kind of, I can kind of relate to the writers in, like, maybe maybe I misunderstood something about the end of this episode, but I kind of feel like they were like, what if we wrote an episode that by the end of it we were just not dealing with the Makewees anymore and we could like focus on more interesting shit in the storyline? God, it feels like the Shakar problem all over again, right? Like either through boredom or disinterest, we're just going to tie this one up. Yeah. Is that let's, it? Let's that get really it off it? the let's get it off the table because we got bigger fish to fry. I guess. Did you like the episode, Adam? I liked all of the same things that you liked. I don't think it, yeah, I mean, it was fun to kind of sport fuck the episode, (laughs) but when you do, when you do the math of it, it was fun to go to war again. It was fun to hop on the little D and shoot some torpedoes. That's, I mean, that's like, that's the kid sci-fi that I love. I am very curious about what happens to Cisco's character after this. Yeah. By sacrificing the high road the way he did, it should change him forever. He should be in big trouble. But I but it's hard to believe that there's going to be any consequences here. And further like I don't 
do you see him changing at all? Is he always like his big deal about the in that punching bag scene was like was was how he he couldn't see what was right in front of him. Yeah. Like like he couldn't he he let it happen and he felt and he feels responsible but he took him to a baseball game. He recommended him for a promotion and he was installing computer viruses on my ship and my station the entire time. If you trace Captain Cisco's arc from the many times he's been duped up until now, do you think that he's a changed man? I think he could be duped again, but I don't think he's predictable in the way that he once was. Yeah. You know, because using a bioweapon, I think I think that changes a person. Yeah. Well, and I think that it's a level up in a chaotic good kind of way. Like he he was such lawful good before and now he's he's like sort of changed alignments. Right. And I think that that makes him a little bit more interesting as a character. And also, well, he's no longer lawful, right? He's he's no longer lawful, and he has a whole new like bag of tricks to draw on. Like the point about Eddington is that Eddington beat him. Like Eddington was better than him, and that drives him crazy. I think it's crucial that Cisco didn't beat Eddington in the end. Eddington gave up. Yeah, which cannot be satisfying if you're Ben Cisco. At least it would not satisfy the man beating up the heavy bag earlier. Right. You know what I sometimes find satisfying, Adam? Beating up the priority one message bag? Yeah. <laughs> Beat it up. That bag is heavy, Adam. <laughs> yeah. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is for Ben and Adam. And it is from a guy who's a little bit embarrassed to have listened to 279 episodes of a Star Trek podcast. (laughs) Well, there's more than that now. Yeah, evidently this person quit after 279. (laughs) The message goes like this. I don't usually look at pods on the internet, but when I came across yours, I found them alluring in ways I didn't expect but kind of enjoyed. Hundreds of episodes and a voyage of self-discovery later, I figured I should throw you some scarves. May you take these scarves and do all the things I'm curious about, but I'm too bashful myself to try. (laughs) Wow, what should we do with the scarves? I think he's encouraging a little bit of breath play. Jeez. which, uh, Which we don't condone at all. Yeah. Very dangerous. To, for instance, tie a scarf around your neck and then tie that scarf to a doorknob. Yeah. Exciting, but dangerous. And then just try jacking it until you pass out. Yeah. Not, I'm not saying that should be a thing that anyone does. It's too dangerous. You don't want to carotene yourself. No. No carotenes around here. Well, (laughs) I guess we'll just have to, like, order weird cocktails or something. That uh, that sounds to me like uh, it would be jacking off in excess. <laughs> What's your message say, Ben? Adam, our next priority one message is from Nikolai Dalchimsky, and it's for Barbara. It goes like this. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. Remember... Miles to go before I sleep. What does it mean? I don't know. It's not like the warm honeyed bosom style, like Soviet spy activation code of random words and references. Yeah. But it's a Russian name, Nikolai Delchimsky. I'm immediately suspicious of the Russian name. I'm gonna put this message into the gurgle. See what comes out. Oh yeah, this is uh, "Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening" by Robert Frost. Hmm. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. Yeah. Robert Frost. Well, Barbara just uh, 
stuck a pen knife into the neck of an ambassador somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're, we're powerless to stop things like that because there's no way to know that we are just rebroadcasting murder codes. Uh, but I if like you'd it. like to send a murder code, you can head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal murder or 200 bucks for a promotional murder. Do you think he's talking about Miles O'Brien? Could it be I a little about wordplay? That, but he doesn't capitalize it all the time. He only yeah. capitalizes it when it's the beginning of the sentence. Yeah. Send more poetry. That's nice. Yeah, poetry's nice. I would say, I'm just going out on a limb, on a limb here, Adam, but poetry slaps. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe we could turn this into a poetry one message. <laughs> cool. No? <laughs> Don't fucking cool me. That's the most withering thing you could say. <laughs> uh, did you do the thing about uh, the thing and the support and whatever? Yeah, I did. Okay. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by seven customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com, the code is SCARVES. Think it, dream it, make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. 
topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Would you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I'm going to give my Shimoda to Odo for throwing Monster Shade. <laughs> At Cisco, there's a uh, there's a meeting of the minds, a McLaughlin group. Issue one. If you will. Welcome back, McLaughlin group, by the way. Mm. Uh, happening in, the, in Cisco's office next to Ops. And Odo's like, uh, when was the last time you talked to Starfleet Command? Cisco's like, I don't know. Odo's like, well, next time you do, you might want to remind them that they posted Eddington here because they didn't trust me. <laughs> and, he, uh, and he throws his arms up like, yeah. the fuck? And then he leaves. That was amazing. I love that part. That was dope. Odo taking it personally. Yeah. And rightfully so. They fucked up. Yeah, indeed. They trusted the wrong man. Who's your Shimoda, Ben? My Shimoda is Dax for similar reasons. That scene at the end of the episode where she's like, so like, is Starfleet cool with this? <laughs> this whole thing where you like nuked a planet to catch one man, <laughs> which she really rode for earlier is, uh, is basically yeah. why, why I thought that that was funny. Hey, you know how earlier you were talking about that, that, uh, that double agent that was marooned on that planet and was slowly dying. Mm-hmm. You think we should, uh, like, pick him up or something? <laughs> yeah. And, uh... Cisco goes, like, I'm late for a workout. Listen, Hold the bag, Dax. The, the little D needs a lot of work in the shop before we do any <laughs> frivolous bullshit like that. Yeah. Well, who really feel bad for that guy. Is anyone going to feel bad for us when you tell us what episode we're watching next, Ben? I don't know. Probably. Yeah. What's it going to be? Season 5, episode 14, In Purgatory's Shadow, part 1. While Worf and Garrick are imprisoned in the Gamma Quadrant, Cisco learns of a Dominion invasion. What? It's happening. Whoa. The the doms are coming. Oh, jeez. And the subs ain't ready. <laughs> subs better get ready. Subs better take a very thorough shower. Yeah. Clean everything. Lubricate well. All right. Well, uh, one form of lubrication we have around this show uh, is the Coco Nono Square on our Game of Buttholes Will of the Prophets. That square being, of course... Five squares ahead of the square we're on now, which is square 41. You feeling lucky, Ben? You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I've got the die in my hand. Yeah, let me uh, let me give those a little puff. Oh, Ben, I rolled a two. Chula! <laughs> Did I win? Hardly. Land us safely on square 43, a regular old episode yay that will be that you know what there's going to be a lot of war episodes to watch and drink through so maybe starting sober is the way to do it yeah i think so maybe i don't know never seen this episode before could be wrong dead wrong well one thing that always feels so right ben is uh showing gratitude to the Many people who make the show possible, starting, of course, with those that go to MaximumFun.org slash donate. They keep the show going, this very expensive show going, this very expensive tour going. They keep us going. This friendship that clearly costs money going. Yeah. You have our gratitude. You do. Uh, some great free ways to support the show include going to uh, your podcast purveyor of choice giving the maximum number of stars or dots <laughs> or uh, 
or, or whatever whatever thing. There's probably a custom rating system over there yeah. on a podcatcher uh, that you could fill out. Give us give us all five. I would think be my that, recommendation. Yeah, I think that uh, the deal is like if uh, if you can rate it as a show, rate it as a show. But if you can only rate it as an episode, just uh, rate the episodes. Like if you're an Overcast, there's a little star there, and uh, if you hit that star, it will recommend the show to other people, and the show will uh, will rise in their little show recommendation algorithm on the on the Add a New Podcast page. It's been a long time since we've like put a concerted effort in in like really getting more reviews of the show. And I was listening to a show the other day that had the idea of doing a Q&A episode based on five-star review comments. Oh. Which I thought was interesting. That, that is might, clever. That might get people to, to participate. So yeah. if you like the show... We'll do like a like an upcoming Marin. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll Marin open some five-star questions. If you have some questions for Ben or myself, leave a five-star review and a question in that comment, and we will read it and answer it on a future episode's Marin. I like it. I mean, I don't love it because I'm going to have to look through comments and potentially see some one-star ones that make me feel really bad. But I haven't looked at comments in maybe a year. <laughs> I've been really good about that. Wow. You just got to sort by uh, by recent and and hope we're lucky. Some of those early comments are pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, now that we've uh, opened ourselves up to that, should we get out of here? <laughs> yeah, not before thanking Adam Ragusia. The oh, great, yeah. Ch- the check out his, uh, his cooking YouTube. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a recipe on Adam Ragusia's cooking YouTube. What? Yeah. Which one? I'm gonna I'm gonna make a a, a chicken stew that I really like, and uh, it's gonna be on the Adabrangusia cooking channel. It might be it might be up already by the time you hear this. What? As in like you're a guest on his cooking show? Yeah, I'm gonna film it. He's gonna do the voiceover. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. You should do one too. I bet I, I bet uh, I'm sure this is open to both of us. Nah, I don't think so. I think I think he likes you more. That's not I'm true. Go to that, I'm going to go to that YouTube page. I'm going to see if your episode is up. Everybody everybody likes you more than me. Videos. Uh, it doesn't look like your ep is up yet. I'm saying by the time this comes out, Adam. Oh. I haven't shot it yet, fool. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong hole, fool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll be looking forward to that, Ben. I'm going to bring my appetite. Can eat that chicken stew going to get me through this cold winter up in Seattle. Gotta thank Bill Tilly. Billiam Tilly. Bill Tilly 1973 on Twitter. He is the creator of the custom comedy cards that you see on every possible social media site. (laughs) And with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that turns this Cold War into a hot war. Hot. Too hot. Hot. Too hot to handle, too cold to hold. We're Deep Space Nine and we're in control. This war's gonna be so hot you're gonna need some potholders. People are just going to love that tight seven minutes about shitting that we have on the show. <laughs> I, uh, I wiped myself after our Marin Open, and now I'm ready to do a show. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.